Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. You're tuned in to Real-Time Relationships. Enter the world of successful relationships. You'll get insider tips on how to navigate the perils and pitfalls of modern dating and up-close-and-personal real-life stories you can relate to from Dr. Camarado's personal clients. Dr. Marianne Camarado is a relationship expert, author, and media personality who continues to enjoy her own long-term successful relationship. And now, here's Real-Time Relationships with Dr. Marianne Camarado. Everybody. Welcome to Real-Time Relationships. I'm Marianne Camarado. Today we're going to be talking about Me Too from a man's perspective. Actually, from men's perspective, we have two guests joining us today. I'm going to introduce them just a little bit. For those of you who don't know the background or the origin of the Me Too movement, I found it fascinating when I was doing my own research. There's what we think we know, and then when we dig a little bit deeper, we find that this was actually... Uh, not only a phenomenon that began in October of 2017, a movement which spread virally as a hashtag used on social media to help demonstrate the widespread prevalence of sexual assault and harassment, particularly in the workplace, um, followed by the public revelations of sexual misconduct allegations against Harvey Weinstein, to name one guy. But it was a civil rights activist Tarana Burke, who coined the term Me Too in 2006, she was trying to raise awareness around sexual and physical abuse, which, again, was more recently adopted by this broader movement and then perpetuated by various female celebrities, including Alyssa Milano, Jennifer Lawrence, Uma Thurman, Ashley Judd, and I think Gwyneth Paltrow. Me Too has led to the exposure of many high-profile executive men. Uh, Well-loved American author Rebecca Solnit wrote an article that I loved, and I wanted to read you a little bit of that, um, because we hear all kinds of things about this movement, uh, including, um, I think Anthony Robbins recently said, he did apologize. However, he did say this is a bunch of, you know, victim-y type of women uh, taking on that archetype and and so on. So there's been a lot of backlash here, but Rebecca Solnit wrote so well, saying the Me Too movement is not a witch hunt. It's not a lynch mob. It's not like the Holocaust, the Japanese internment, McCarthyism, or the Inquisition. She says, every time we get a little bit closer to holding powerful men, I would add people, accountable for their actions, bad historical metaphors tumble forth from people who are eager to appear to be concerned about overreach and due process. Overreach is always possible. Due process is important. But comparisons that equate holding the powerful accountable with the systematic persecution of marginalized people are both offensive and intended to obfuscate the truth. 
Me Too is a rebellion against the kinds of entrenched powers that persecute. It is not an act of persecution. Okay, I'm a woman. I might be a little biased here. I'm not sure. Uh, okay, I, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure I am. I, I got a lot of charge around this issue for sure. Maybe 5,000 years of inherited stuff. I, I cannot ignore that truth. That being said, today's program is not about that, actually. Today's program I wanted to bring to you to offer the male perspective. What are, what's happening for, for and with our men? I, I've been asking my relatives, um, my husband, my brothers, cousins, friends, asking men, what's happening for you? How is this affecting you? And, and I have been astonished, moved, to tears, uh, concerned, angered, uh, all kinds of emotions, but mostly uh, very interested because here's what we know. We're not going to heal this without you men. That being said, uh, welcome to the program, John and Randall. You know, we've got the rare opportunity to speak with you about Me Too from your unique perspective, so I'm so grateful to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. You're quite welcome. Yeah. Yeah, so let's start with you, Randall. How did the Me Too movement come to your attention? When did you first know something was going on? Um, well, in terms of the movement or in terms of the pieces that have been taking place for 5,000 years, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's start with Me Too. We'll go from there. Uh, I don't know. I think it was just at the tail end of last year when it was all over social media. Um, you know, any kind you open up Facebook, there would be some reference to it. Mm-hmm. What did you notice? What came up for you? What were your first thoughts or reactions, if you can remember? Yeah, I can remember because I'm still having them. Um, it, uh, a blend of gratitude that it was finally being put out there the way uh, people were putting it out there and anger that it's taken so damn long for this to take effect, you know. I've heard from women for years and years about them being sexually objectified or abused or harassed sexually, mm-hmm. and and men don't seem to get it or take accountability for it. Mm-hmm. So the fact that now there's a movement instead of just individual women speaking out, you know, in isolated ways, I think I think it's catching fire, and I'm mm-hmm. grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, John. How about you? When did you first notice this phenomenon? When did it come to your attention? Oh, I, I think my answer would be the same as Randall's. Uh, you know, when the Weinstein thing first came down and it started, you know, hitting all the headlines. Um, so, and it's not to say that I, you know, that obviously neither Randall and I had a clue that hey, this stuff was going on before them. But in terms of when did we discover the Me Too movement? Yeah, it was definitely after 2006. Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, I think it's becoming a part of everyone's, you know, consciousness now, which is. And I echo Randall's the sentiment, and that you know, good, good, good on us for doing that. Yeah. Right. Well, so let's talk a little bit about what is this that we're actually talking about, Randall? I know you work in the healing profession. You work in the human potential world. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but. Uh, when we talk about Me Too, because when I've been asking people what it is, I get, you know, every person I talk to has something different to say in terms of what they think Me Too is and what we're actually naming here. What do you think we're talking about? Well, I've understood that Me Too means I, you know, as a woman speaking, would be I also have been sexually abused, assaulted, harassed, 
that it's it's not happening in isolation. It's happening throughout the culture or cultures, I guess I should say. And and women are now saying we've had it. Um, we're not willing to be powerless because of the power differential. We're going to stand up and make people accountable for these abusive acts. And mm-hmm. I'm all for it. I think it's absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I may, yeah, no, not only for the women, not for all women, but for men, because I think our uh, sexuality has been completely distorted um, by the idea that women are objects for our sexual gratification. I think it gets in the way of intimacy, it gets in the way of real relationship, and it gets in the way of men looking at their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Could so, you be more, let's be more specific, let's go down that rabbit hole for a minute. Okay. Uh, yeah, just because, let's spell that out. What, what do you actually mean, that last sentence in particular, men's stuff, what stuff? Um, you know, men looking at women as a way to medicate themselves from their own pain and suffering. Um, that women are so um, I don't know, advertised throughout mm-hmm. media and movies and such as sexual objects that it just becomes another drug, another distraction uh, from whatever their own turmoil is. Mm-hmm. Without, without any consciousness that there's a human over there in that sexy body. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we have also been distorted by it. Yeah. Programmed, trained, you know, uh, exactly. and, and encouraged. Yeah, um, absolutely encouraged. I remember I, I did a television program um, years ago. I went out on the street, did a bunch of live on the street interviews, and I ended up at a high school, and I was curious what young men thought about women, uh, just as an overview uh kind of a question and I was shocked to hear what these young men had to say but the thing that shocked me the most and I want to turn this to you John and, and see what your experience was as a young man uh, they basically I said so where did we get where did you guys get these ideas you know where did you hear these things about women and you get your sort of orientation and I remember this one young man didn't even flinch he said he started telling me about his uncle, how his uncle gave him a Playboy magazine, slapped him on the back. It was kind of a rite of passage, you know, like, this is what we men do. And he kind of, he started to laugh, but then he sort of was like, oh, yeah, right? I Somebody told me this was what I should do, and I didn't question it, right? John, John, how does that how does that show up for you? Can you relate to that? How, did, how was your sort of, um, what was your introduction into objectifying women as a young man? Okay. <laughs> well, I don't beat around the bush here. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Let's, let's assume I did that first of all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, people. No, I, don't, okay, I, can, I can, I can, I can certainly speak to that. Um, you know, I think there's there's two forces at work, right? There are uh, there are physical or or evolutionary forces at work, and then there are cultural forces at work. I think both of these things come together to yep. produce the result that they have produced. I think both those things are, are true, you know. Yeah, uh, nature and nurture. I, yeah, exactly, yeah. And so, um, and I know all my life I have felt both, and I can distinguish one from the other. If, if I take a moment and sit with it, it would be easy to name, oh, that's, a, that's an evolutionary instinctual um, event or a force and that's that one is cultural you know so um and 
And so it's, it's easy enough to, for us to, to name those two things as being true in the world. Um, I think what we can't do anything about is, is are the instinctual and evolutionary forces. What we can do something about it, should do something about it, and are doing something about it, are the social forces that, that are the result of those instinctual forces. And, and I think that's what the Me Too movement, you know, really is. It's a, okay. it's another, it's another place where it's, it's another step in the evolution of compassion. All right, so let me back up, though, and I'm going to ask sure. you have you speak more specifically to your own personal experience, because I don't imagine at 11 years old you were making that distinction. Uh, <laughs> Let's say, assume not. Unless you were like a Mensa kid, and you were like, wow, this is fascinating stuff about human sexuality. But So, again, no shame here, no blame. This is like, this is just what was done. And I, so let me ask you this question before you speak to this more personally. Do you think it's evolutionary or, or biologically driven to objectify women or abuse women? Oof. Well, those are two questions, and and I don't, I'm not sure that I'm I'm expert enough to speak to either of those questions. Is but it, in your experience, what you've observed. Well, I the abuse. No, I think the abuse is probably something different. That. And of course, there are shades of abuse. But in terms of objectifying, can you? I want to make sure I answer your question correctly. Mm -hmm. Can you restate it, please? Yeah, sure. So, what I heard you say was that there were two camps, basically: the social and the sort of the you know nature and nurture. What we can do is something about the cultural. But you said, but I don't think we can do anything about the sort of the the inherited, in, innate biological urges or the psychological structure. That's what I heard you say. And if that's the case, I wanted to know, in, in looking through the filter of what we're talking about, or through the lens, do you think that uh, physical object, uh, uh, female sexual objectification or abuse is part of, uh, an inherent part of our hu human being human? Or male, the male psyche, or the male uh, biological imperative? Well, I would, I would say that those two, those two places, uh, Objectification and abuse define a very wide spectrum, right? And so um, that's one way to look at it. And you could say that the simple objectification, which is you know you see a you see an attractive woman on the street, and you and you, it 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 occurs to you that yes, she's attractive. Well, that's a far far cry from an act of abuse toward that woman. And so and I think. What's important here is how we show up in the world, you know, and the rule is don't be a dick, you know. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good rule. So I'm not sure I could really speak to how I was as an 11-year-old around that spectrum and on those okay. two things. But you could you know? speak to how you were introduced to the sexual objectification that is not only so prevalent, but it's just part of the cultural inherited belief. It's part of the 5,000-year. I mean, you're not going to argue that you weren't you weren't a victim to that yourself, right? I mean, so I'm asking you, when did it start for you, and how did that look? Oh, I think like, I, I think Randall kind of hit the nail on the head there. Play, you know, Playboy magazine. I remember being. I don't know, 10 or something in that range, fifth grade, fourth grade, third grade, you know, some kids bought Playboys and we looked at those and, and, you know, like, wow, that's a whole different thing in the world and isn't 
that amazing what women look like without any clothes on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just starts there as a curiosity, and um, I guess that's one way that I was introduced to it, I suppose you could say. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that, and that gets, and I think in a way that that maybe brought a consciousness to, like, when you see women in, in bikinis, I'm imagining being 11 years old again and saying, and seeing women in bikinis, like, oh, oh, wait, I know what she looks like underneath that bikini. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's something, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that 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 that's just part of the cultural, you know, experience of men in, in our culture. And I couldn't, and I'm sure in different cultures it's a completely different experience because they don't have those. They might not have those things. So I'm going to get to you in a second, Randall. So that being said, so there you are. You're getting exposed to the cultural norm, right? You're starting to look at (laughs) women um, in an objectifying way without even knowing that's what's happening. When did you start to know the difference? Like you said, that inherited cultural uh, objectification versus what we're talking about. I think I started to notice it. I think I started to notice the difference when I started noticing how other people, my peers, most notably, uh, were treating women, right? And yeah. so I think that's that's an easy enough thing to say. Is you you look at how one kid is treating a girl and you go, boy, that's not very nice, you know. And at some point, it occurs to you that there's a gender conversation to be had here, you know. And when that happened for me, you know, probably more closer to junior high or high school, you know, when that started to be a, a thing, um, when I started seeing how men were treating women um, and seeing it like that, there's a, there's a distinction here that is gender-specific. You know? Right. Well, Randall, what's that like? Thank you, John. What's that like to be, I would imagine, torn? Like, I grew up with brothers, and a, 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 my father was very um, patriarchal and, you know, sort of typically uh, misogynistic. I can say that he's gone. He'd, he'd probably argue with me if he were here. Uh, uh, you know, that man's world kind of story. How Did you feel torn? Uh, you know, here you are with a bunch of guys. I'm not sure this happened for you, kind of like how John talked about it. But, you know, Donald Trump says, oh, it's locker room talk. Oh, you know, it's just boys talking about boys. But there you are. You know, when I was with my brothers, I, I heard it talking about girls and really derogatory terms and pretty gross stuff and then you got to go and next thing you know there's your sister and there's your mom and there's your girlfriend how how did you hold the tension of that or, or what do you, what can you tell us about that how was that for you yeah that's a really good question first i just want to say reducing it to uh, locker room talk is just bullshit <laughs> it's just bullshit that's part of the problem um and the answer is yes to your question my like john i discovered my dad's playboys and i used to look at them when they were gone but it wasn't just the naked women that made an impact on me it was the clear indication that hugh hefner was the kind of guy you wanted to be mm. that he had all these this power because all these ridiculously beautiful women were just draping themselves over him so to be a powerful man meant that you have you have all these bunnies around you Mm-hmm. And then, and then, as you quite correctly point out, then I had a mom, who, with whom I had a beautiful relationship. So the split between women as sexual objects, for my own power, and my beautiful mom, who was so caring and present and loving, I did, I didn't know how to reconcile that as a kid. It didn't make any sense to me, and mostly I think I just split them off. Mm-hmm. And my dad would talk about there were good girls and bad girls. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that gets locked into your psyche, too. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, you know, talk about nature and nurture, I think I was born with a certain kind of sensitivity towards men and women. And so when I had my first girlfriend, I couldn't never really objectify her because, she, you know, she was Susan. She was this lovely woman. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of objectifying her, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I, I, I couldn't join in with the other guys about, you know, the stories they were telling, their sexual escapades. To talk about it seemed to, um, I don't know, betray it, belittle it, smirch mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think early on, this, this whole objectification of women, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Was it kind of a, thank you for that, uh, was it kind of like, I was just talking with actually uh, somebody this morning, uh, when we come back we'll talk about this more, but you know, it's sort of like, uh, it's kind of a rule, you're not going to, you're not going to throw your buddy under the bus, even if it feels wrong. We come back after these messages, more uh, with Randall and John, our guests today on Real-Time Relationships. Me too. That's what we're talking about, a man's perspective. When we return, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back right after these messages. If you're over 40, you have particular concerns about dating and relationships. You've been engaged or married at least once, have children, or realize you can't. Suddenly you're using technology as part of a new dating culture. You may be stressed by sexual concerns, diminishing libido, worrying about having sex with an older face and an older body. Despite being older and wiser, you don't want to give up the juicy, fun parts that relationship has to offer. And now, you don't have to. Go to MarianneCamarado.com and find out how. Tune in the fourth Wednesday of each month, dating over 40 at 9 a.m. Pacific Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them on to my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at it 50-50, and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward and they can help you to get answers to your relationship questions call in to real time relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time on HealthyLife.net for the best in business class travel count on Cheapo Air Cheapo Air has the best price guarantee, 24-7 customer service, and easy booking online or by phone. To experience your hassle-free journey, start by going to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Cheapo Air. Dating Over 40 explores real-time concerns people have about dating, mating, and relating. You're invited into the intimate world of my amazing clients who generously agreed to share their experience. To people like you who risk their vulnerability and have the courage to tell their stories and intimate concerns to help you make a difference in your relationships and your life. Tune in to Dating Over 40. Or if you'd like your own private sessions, visit MarianneCamarado.com. Radio your way. 
HealthyLife.net. everybody. Real-time relationships, that's where you've tuned in. I'm Marianne Camarado. We're talking about the Me Too phenomenon, but from a different point of view, we're taking a man's perspective. We are knee-deep in the conversation uh, with my guests today. Randall and John have courageously uh, agreed to join us and drop down the rabbit hole, uh, a very vulnerable, uh, courageous act, as I said. We're so glad to have you with us guys. Uh, before the break, I mentioned, uh, Randall, you were talking about how, you know, there is kind of um, that, that locker room talk. It does exist, how you get initiated into objectification. And then there's the other side of it. We've got moms and sisters and, and, and our lovers that actually become friends that suddenly are no longer uh, talked about or, or seen in that kind of way anymore, and the tension between those things. But I had asked you right before we went to break, um, what about that sort of unspoken rule when you're with a bunch of guys or men or boys or whatever, and that's kind of the prevalent, that's the momentum in the conversation. Uh, is there an unspoken rule that you don't, you don't say to your buddy, hey, come on, knock it off, or do you just kind of get on the train? How is that for you? John, let's speak to that. I'm going to ask you to speak to that. What has that been like for you in those situations? Do you join in? Uh, do you feel bad about it after? Or you know, how does that go for you? Over, and, and over the years as you've matured? Yeah, that's a good question. A complex one. You know, I think, you know, I think men share an experience of each other and, and of the world outside them that they talk about as men with only men in the room. And I think the same thing can be true for women, that women talk to each other about their experience as women, you know, with, when there's only women in the room. I think that will, is the case, has always been the case, and likely, I imagine, will always be the case. Do men objectify women in those conversations? Yes, absolutely. You know, there's no question that that happens. Um, I think everyone gets to, everybody, myself or Randall or, or, or all other men, you know, get to participate or or deselect themselves from those conversations as they as they are comfortable or uncomfortable. And I, I witnessed myself do that on numerous occasions, and I've witnessed other people do it in numerous occasions. And I think that I don't, it's hard to say that there are rules or that there are. Only, only that it's only that it's probably true that men either select or deselect themselves according to what's comfortable for them and how and how they want to either participate or not participate at all uh, Got it. in those Got conversations. It. Yeah. Thank you, John. Hey, Randall. Same question. Let's talk a little bit about the benefit of joining in uh, and and the danger in that. Well, yeah. To join in means you're still one of the crowd. Yeah. You're still accepted. Um, I, this is actually why one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for the Me Too movement because I think now men may have more courage to speak up mm -hmm. because it's not just my friend Frank talking smack about some woman. 
it's now he's talking against a whole movement that's all over the media that's kind of a new educational blend. So I'm, I'm hoping it will encourage, because I know when I was growing up, I, I felt, again, that split when men would talk trash about women. I would typically find it kind of pathetic and disgusting, but at the same time, there are a number of times where I wouldn't speak up because I didn't want to be uncool or be kicked out of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would tend to self-select out of friendships when mm-hmm. people would talk like that. I just wouldn't want to be around them. They just, mm-hmm. they're kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, got it. Thank you. This wasn't my style. Got it. Yeah. All right. If, so I can, if I can add something. Yeah, sure. And, 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 so, John. Yeah, there's, there's lots of con- different contexts in which these conversations occur. So one obvious context is, is either on a personal level or on a on professional level. So, for example, in, in my in my company, if anyone starts talking and in any kind of gender-specific way at all about either or any gender, I shut it down in a big hurry. That's my job. You know, I, I just look at the way, eh, we do not go there. Do not, under any circumstances, go there. So I have a different role in that in that situation, and I keep a... I keep a no, absolutely zero tolerance, you know, kind of uh, situation going on there. Whereas in a, in a more of a social situation, you know, more of the kinds of things that Randall was talking about come into come into play. Got it. So I think well, you, you, it's a beautiful cop up for this next inquiry, then, John. That's 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 an important differentiation or distinction. Because here's my next question. Um, you said something earlier, you know, men talk about women in an objectifying way. For sure, I've witnessed that. You know, I've, I've witnessed men doing it myself. Um, most of us would say that's been a normative experience for a long time. And then you said, but women do it too. I don't think you said but. I think you said, and women do it too. And this is a place that I want to kind of slide in here and just pause. Because, and I'm not sure, and I'm not going to make a sweeping generalization, or, or I'm not trying to defend or argue here. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, let's look here at the difference uh, and looking at it from a survival perspective. So, if a bunch of men are sitting around talking about Julie and Julie's a big hoe and she slept with everybody and la la la, and that gets around, and you know, let's say that this was 1950, 1960, 19 whatever, uh, and all the way up to now. How does that affect Julie as she moves through the world? Versus, if women are sitting around talking about Hank and how he's towing around, and he goes out in the world, and what what happens to him? My experience is that almost virtually nothing happens to Joe, except maybe some gals want to get his number. Uh, because they think that's sexy or whatever. Uh, maybe some guys want to get Julie's number, but do you think the same kind of damage is going to happen to Julie as it does to Joe? And let's just talk about this. It doesn't even occur to anybody that this talk actually has a collateral damage. And this is just at the very superficial level here in this conversation, by the way. So let's go down this rabbit hole. Randall, why don't you speak to that first, please? Well, I think it's important that you differentiate the 1950s and 60s to present day, because I think sexual norms have really changed. Mm -hmm. But to to go to your question several decades ago, no, of course, Julie is injured for years and years and years after she's been labeled a whore. Um, There's not much good that comes out of that for the woman. And for the man, he becomes one of the cool guys, depending on what social group he's in, because he's getting laid all the time. 
Um, my hope is, not, this certainly wasn't true with my generation, but with my kids' generation, there's much more power and freedom for a woman to be sexual, to be embodied. And the label of being a whore, I hear much less frequently, and don't hear it at all with my kids. I mean, they never think of a woman in, the, in that way. A woman might be sexually active and may have multiple partners, but it's spoken like that, not in terms mm -hmm. of she's a bad girl. All right. So I think these are these are conversations that happen to us as, as young people. You know, the, the conversation about how promis promiscuous a woman is or a man is. I can't, I can't remember the last time I was in that conversation about either either gender. I think these are probably things that that consume teenagers and people in their early twenties, but not so much in their thirties, forties, fifties, or sixties. All right. Well, so let's, let's put that. Yeah, go go. I, I actually think it's interesting because I think. I think that's good news, I mean, sexual equality, all that. But I think there's something even more insidious, because now the advertising and movies and such, the, the level of objectification is far more insidious than it used to be. Um, the decapitated heads, you know, there's these sexy bodies in movie posters, for example. Um, they're in, it's intense, the, the impact that could have on the psyche. Yeah. Yep, so we're going to talk about that when we return. Everybody, don't touch that dial. Stay with us. Uh, you're tuning in to Real-Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado. We're talking about the Me Too movement with two amazing, courageous men. We're going to be back right after these messages. Don't touch that dial. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at it 50-50 and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, call in to Real-Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. Dating Over 40 explores real-time concerns people have about dating, mating, and relating. You are invited into the intimate world of my amazing clients who generously agreed to share their experience. To people like you who risk their vulnerability and have the courage to tell their stories and intimate concerns to help you make a difference in your relationships and your life. Tune in to Dating Over 40. Or if you'd like your own private sessions, visit MarianneCamarado.com. You have too little time to shop, so try Farm Fresh to you. They deliver organic food the way nature intended. Delivered straight to your home or office, economically. Visit our web advertiser page and click on Farm Fresh to you now. 
If you're over 40, you have particular concerns about dating and relationships. You've been engaged or married at least once, have children, or realize you can't. Suddenly you're using technology as part of a new dating culture. You may be stressed by sexual concerns, diminishing libido, worrying about having sex with an older face and an older body. Despite being older and wiser, you don't want to give up the juicy, fun parts that relationship has to offer. And now, you don't have to. Go to MarianneCamarado.com and find out how. Tune in the fourth Wednesday of each month, dating over 40 at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. All positive talk with a mature edge. HealthyLife.net. everybody. It's real-time relationships. That's where you are. I'm Marian Camarado. We are talking about the Me Too movement, a man's perspective. Randall, before the break, we were talking about the, the almost hyper-sexualized objectification, like on steroids now, of the female yeah. body, which in contrast to what you perceive as a women's sort of liberated sense of sexuality. And you were going to make a point there. You want to you continue on that track? <laughs> sure. Actually, no, I have two points. Um, one is I just think it adds to the split, um, which I think is what we have to pay attention to, where women are more empowered now. I think men are more um, socially and psychologically more educated about sexuality and the power differential. But at the same time, like you, I, your term, hypersexualized, I think is absolutely apropos. I think women are being hypersexualized in movies and such. But what's interesting is now with the superhero movies, men's bodies are now ridiculously pumped up. So when I started going to the superhero movies and saw these guys' biceps that were the size of my size, I, I started to feel, oh, I'm not that. I, I don't have that going on. And, and I thought, oh, this is what women have been feeling, I don't know, since the 50s or 60s, I'm not sure, where they're not enough. Either their breasts mm-hmm. weren't big enough or their waist wasn't thin enough. That They just, mm-hmm. basically, they, they weren't thin enough, was, I think. Mm-hmm. And now we think men are going to get a taste of their own medicine. They're, we're not mm-hmm. pumped up superheroes. We're just not, mm-hmm. we're just not that body type. Mm-hmm. And so we, we get to feel that kind of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. That's a, a really good point. And I was going to ask both of you, uh, and we're going to get to compassion and self-compassion. And, and we the, the issue has been raised. We're not sure if this is true, but, but during the different uh, uh, decades or time eras or whatever, the millennials, the baby boomers, Gen X, et cetera, everybody uh, from the post-depression folks have had their own conversation around this orientation around women and their bodies and their sexuality. While, albeit it has changed, something has come to the head, right? Something has come to the fore. It's crashing open, and we're we're all getting to take a look at it to feel things we maybe didn't want to feel. And, And there's a lot on the table here, a lot at stake. That being said, you said something about the split. This is a common theme in this conversation and looking at this issue overall and how this shows up for you men, this split, this I feel drawn to this, but it's maybe not the best choice. So these are my words I'm just putting on here. But let me ask you both this. Where do you feel the split most? After even being conscious men, because that's what I consider both of you, men that are trying to stay awake on this path, um, trying to be the best versions of yourself the way I know you both, where do you still feel that 
split that edge inside of yourself, like where I need a woman to look a certain way, but I don't hold myself to those same standards or something like that. Where, where do you feel that, John, maybe, if at all? Has that occurred to you? <laughs> wow, right. I'm so getting with you on first. I know, right, right? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I think I think it's an it's an inevitable human experience to be drawn to be sexually drawn to a certain body type, a certain attitude, a certain look, a certain movement, or whatever. Um, and have that be divorced from ourselves. Do we move that way? Are we that body type? Are we that wealthy? Are we, you know, whatever, whatever the whatever the attribute you're talking about is? Um, I think that's always there's always a disconnect there. I think that's part of the human experience, and I don't, I'm not sure that that's you know ever going to go away. That there's a with that split between what we see in ourselves and what we desire or want in the opposite sex. You know? So where's your edge um, in that? Where's my personal edge? Yeah. I think I, I think I am in contemplation at, at this stage in life. Uh, you know, what, what is the significant contemplation for me is the age difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think both culturally and evolutionarily, um, men historically, and I, and, you know, seek out younger women um, for all reasons we can talk about, but I think that's basically true. And so for me, it's, it's in being in contemplation of what those, again, the balance of those forces between social and, um, and physical evolutionary instinctual forces and how it is that I want to show up in the world and be in contemplation for how those forces occur to me and happen inside of me that I don't control or ask for, but, you know, someone gets mad and they don't want to be mad, they just get mad or whatever, you know, but, and how I want to show up in the world and how I want to, you know, the choices that I want to make. And so um, is there a tension there between those things for me? Certainly, I think I, we all know what that is. So, um, has that yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a valuable passion? thing to share, for sure. What's that? Yeah. Has it helped you cultivate or has it brought up any compassion for what women have gone through uniquely? I mean, I hear that you have a very egalitarian point of view, and it's, it's very, for me, a beautiful, ideal idea about how men and women are. But through this really gross imbalance that most of us acknowledge at, at some point, uh, tilted in, in favor of the male, you know, man's world and all of this, um, that looking through that lens, which is what we're talking about today, this Me Too movement, where women literally for 5,000 years, it's essentially been okay to actually rape a woman and have everybody look the other way. No big deal. Doesn't even make the radar. Front pages, you know, all of that. Let's not pretend that's not what we're talking about here. Not that anyone's pretending that, but I'm just saying let's, let's include that in your answer here. So let's look through that lens and then answer the question in terms of, has has this your edge of going, wow, I'm getting older, uh, and I want a younger woman, but maybe this is an edge for me. How, how has that helped you gain more compassion in this story somehow, if any, for women? I think whenever, whenever we find ourselves 
in a, in an experience that we can that we can point at and say this is someone else's experience too. I think that opens us up to compassion. There's no question. So how has it opened you up for compassion? I understand in the third person that's true, but specifically for you, if you wouldn't mind sharing a specific example. Because there's other guys out there listening, and they're hanging on your every word, John. Like, yeah. oh, my God, right? Like, yeah, I'm, help me out here. That's okay. Uh, you know, I... You know, my own my own experience of myself is going to be different than other people's. I think it's it, it's maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. Truthfully, Marianne, I'm not sure how to answer that. Honestly, okay. I'm not sure All what right. you're looking for. That's okay, I, think. I can appreciate that. I'm. I'm yeah. How about you, Randall? Anything occur to you there? So same give same it, question. Yeah, okay. give it to me. The same question because I think you're yeah. Yeah. compassion. Yeah, so how somehow, 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 somehow rape got in there, and I think that's what threw me off. I wasn't sure what, you know, rape is part of what I was saying. Could you? Yes. I'll reframe it. What I was saying was, is looking through, because, John, you kept pointing to, well, all men, we all always feel this way. This is a human experience. And I wanted to bring it back to the non-egalitarian conversation we're having, the non-idealistic scenario. We're looking for the Me Too lens where women are raped and killed and all of that stuff for 5,000 years and that's what this, what this movement is trying to put an end to and I was asking you both to kind of drop into how your own edge, getting older, etc. might help you develop more compassion. When we come back after the break, we will get to the bottom of that question, somehow <laughs> or another uh, and, and then leave it on a note that this is important for all of us. How are we going to heal together? Where are we going from here? Back in just a minute. Dating Over 40 explores real-time concerns people have about dating, mating, and relating. You are invited into the intimate world of my amazing clients who have generously agreed to share their experience. The people like you who risk their vulnerability and have the courage to tell their stories and intimate concerns to help you make a difference in your relationships and your life. Tune into Dating Over 40. Or if you'd like your own private sessions, visit MarianneCamarado.com. Discover the world's largest anti-aging organization, Life Extension. For the best information, vitamins, and supplements, you just can't beat Life Extension. To start extending your life, go to the HealthyLife.net advertiser page and click on the Life Extension banner. If you're over 40, you have particular concerns about dating and relationships. You've been engaged or married at least once, have children, or realize you can't. Suddenly you're using technology as part of a new dating culture. You may be stressed by sexual concerns, diminishing libido, worrying about having sex with an older face and an older body. Despite being older and wiser, you don't want to give up the juicy, fun parts that relationship has to offer. And now, you don't have to. Go to MarianneComerado.com and find out how. Tune in the fourth Wednesday of each month, dating over 40 at 9 a.m. Pacific do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I am perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at 50-50 and it feels so good 
when you can help that other person move forward and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, call in to Real Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net. everybody thanks for being with us you know this is one of those conversations um the me too movement and i'm being a woman uh, riding my own edge of trying to uh, ask questions uh, to my brothers here uh to men feeling my own bias trying to be clear trying to be inclusive and ask questions that are important for all of us to be considering um and we just you know dropped into some territory that's uh, been a little triggering uh, if you're just joining us. We were, I was getting a little intimate with, with John and, and Randall about their experience and then their edge uh, in this scenario and, and this burgeoning awakening that we're having around women and female sexual objectification. That being said, um, just one more try at this. Uh, I'm going to turn the question to you, Randall. If, has the edge you mentioned earlier, the edge between you noticing your own vulnerability around being, you know, looked at a particular way. You've seen it in the movies, men being looked at, their big muscles and whatnot, and comparing yourself. Has that, has that been creating a kind of growing compassion in you? Uh, sounds like you've always been on that, that track, but can you say some more about that and, and your compassion for women in this scenario? Yeah, I, I think first it would be helpful to differentiate one thing, which is, Objectifying women to the point of sexual assault and objectifying women like in a magazine like Playboy, there, there's a continuum uh, uh, around that sexualization. Yeah. And so the man who rapes or assaults a woman is way on one side of that continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would like to see it. I would like to see it um, in, even in the Me Too movement as all of its part of the continuum. Um, the Me Too movement, I think, most loudly speaks to the rape and the assaults, which is incredibly important. I would like to see, you know, how media represents women included in that continuum. Because when I, you know, as a therapist, when I speak to women, especially now with the Me Too movement, it's coming out more, who have been assaulted, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Because, you know, just yesterday I spoke to a woman who was raped, and she didn't know she, it was raped for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she woke up one day and realized she had been raped, that, it, that she was asking him to stop, and he didn't stop. And, it, you know, it ripped my heart out. Um, so I think as the Me Too movement really takes hold and women become more empowered to talk about, to think about how they've been treated, and then to talk about it, yeah, I don't know how, you know, I would hope that 95% of men would grow in compassion. Certainly, mm-hmm. certainly I have, but I... I'm in a unique relationship with, you know, my clients where they can tell me these incredibly difficult and painful episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how a man doesn't increase his compassion for women as this movement goes on. Thank you for that. And on the note of relationships, um, Don, have you noticed you're a single man 
Have, how has this impacted you, if at all, in terms of your moving forward into seeking an intimate partner as a single guy? Oh, the Me Too movement? How yeah. has it impacted me? Yeah, as a single man. I think my, yeah, I think uh, my radar for, like, not going where I'm not invited, Right, mm-hmm. you know, I think everyone kind of has that. You don't want to intrude on someone's privacy, or you know, there's always this thing like, is it okay to be a part of this person's experience or not? Right, and so, mm-hmm. um, and I think that you know that men always are like, where is the boundary here past which I may not go in terms of in terms of making you know whatever advances romantic or sexual or whatever or friendship you know toward a woman. I think that this movement has has moved that line back a bit for me. Wow. So where I where I used to I used to think, you know, I don't go where I'm not invited, right? Now sure. I really don't go where I'm not invited. I get it. You want a full on invitation. Right? Explicit <laughs> invitation, right? Yeah, I need okay. I need a written invitation, right? Yeah, so, exactly. I mean it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Right. But no, still, no, it's, got it. yeah, sure, sure. Thank I think you. We, and, that was and powerful. I think, I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Oh, I think I think all men are in that place of of questioning where they find that that boundary for them or for her mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know for or whoever where they say you know um, is this really okay? And I think that's a good thing. That that's that's for me. That's yeah. what the Me Too movement is: is an evolution. This evolution of compassion. You know what Dr. King said: the arc of moral justice is long, but it bends towards justice. The arc of morality is wrong, but it comes towards justice. And so, you know, these these evolutions are are important and right and correct. And this is us going through it, and I think it's a fine thing. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Same question to you, Randa. You're in a relationship. How has this impacted your intimate partnership, the Me Too movement? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, as you said earlier, compassion mostly. Um, but I'm going to sidestep it a little bit because what John was saying um, made me think of something, which is uh, I, or maybe I can personalize it too. There's a, there's more of a, a discomfort or awkwardness. Like how how does one therefore behave around a woman? And and again, I you know I think I'm off to one side on this where I think good man be be awkward, <laughs> be uncomfortable. Um, it's a little bit like racism. Um, someone might be uncomfortable with an African-American next to them. Well, good. Deal with that discomfort because it just speaks to your bad education. And um, I'm, I'm grateful, again, for the movement that if we men have to be uncomfortable for a period of years while we adjust to that line John was talking about, good. Let's, let's be uncomfortable and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, we're coming to the top of the program, if you can believe it, whiz by. Uh, there's so much more to say, guys, but what do we want to leave our listeners with? Where do we go from here, John? Where do we go from here? Yeah. You know, I, I think along the same lines, we're already traveling, and just more of that, please. You know, I think that's, that's where to go. And I think what's, what's important is to recognize when, you know, what we know from social movements is sometimes pendulum swing too far the other direction mm-hmm. and you know is that possible here sure is it is it is that something we should watch out for sure uh, but i think again in the end if we I, I don't mind going a little far in the in 
I don't mind the pendulum swinging a little bit farther in in the other direction because it, because eventually it will correct and eventually we'll all be the better for it. And I think that that's I think that that's a nothing but a good thing. And that's 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 what that's what the phrase right side of history is for. You can look you at that. at what has happened and 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 see that it's it's part of the evolution of our civilization and right. of us as human beings and. And of compassion. Got it. All right, Randall, we're we're there at top of the hour. What do you want to leave us with? Where are we going for, from here? No, I, I agree with John. This is where men follow women. Let women teach us uh, where it needs to go because they're the ones who have their finger on the pulse. So mm -hmm. I'm happy to yeah. follow them. Mm, beautiful. That's well, I would say, yeah, that's a good one. I like it. And thank you both. <laughs> so much from my heart to both of yours. You know, I care about you both deeply and I'm grateful. We hope we have touched you, made you curious. For more information, go to info at marianlive.com. Um, guys, thanks again. I'm so grateful to have had you both here and for your open, honest, and courageous hearts today. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Me too. Well, this was great. <laughs> Me too. You're quite welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> that was good, guys. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today on Real-Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado. The Me Too movement, the phenomenon, where are you at in the conversation? What are you doing about it? How are you taking steps to awaken, to support your sisters and brothers in this uh, very critical time on the planet. Well, you've started by investing your time here. We're grateful. Go to MarianneCamarado.com for more information. And please sign up for our newsletter so you can be part of the ongoing effort to help you attract and create healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationships starting with you. We'll see you next time. Take care.